0: Listener
1: Production. Hello and welcome to Willow Talk. Adam Peacock here with Brad Haddon. Hads, good to
2: see you again. How are you? How are you, mate? I'm excited about today. We've got a special guest. He'll give us a rundown on, on the West Indies, everything Big Bash uh, and all-round character.
1: Um, our guest today, you beauty. Peter Hanscom is that character, 20 tests for Australia and playing all around the world, county cricket, big bash for the Melbourne Stars, Victoria as well. Pete, how are you?
0: Good, good guys, good to be on here, looking forward to uh, talking a bit of cricket
1: with you. Yeah, looking forward to getting some of these stories and character stories as well that has alluded to right there. We're going to preview the first test between <laughs> Australia and the West Indies at the Adelaide Oval starting on Wednesday, chat a bit about Big Bash, Pete about his game and farewelling Aaron Finch and finish with our rises and fallers. Big thanks to those who have followed the podcast on the listener app, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. We hit 10,000 Instagram followers, almost 15,000 on TikTok. Can you believe it? Send us more DMs and the more Brad Haddon bomb scare stories, the better, if possible. Anyway, let's get to the Windy's preview straight up. And Steve Smith, that's the big story, guys, uh, with Steve Smith saying, no, nope, I'm going to go top of the order. It broke when we were on air the other day, Hads. Now that we've had the full explanation, I'll go to you, Hads, first about do you like what you've heard about why Stephen Smith is going to open the batting and Cameron Green's going to bat at four?
2: Yeah, I, I do like it. I, I think Steve Smith needs the the stimulation. And, and reading between the lines, I, I think he's struggled a little bit with waiting. His personality is uh, a bit twitching. He, he likes to be busy and involved in the game. But I, I think the one thing which will be a lot different is I, I think teams have bowled really well to Steve Smith over the last 18 months. They, they've gone really straight at him with leg side fields. They've used their scoreboard really well and shut his scoring options down. So with the new ball, you you can't really use that tactic. You've got to give it the opportunity to swing. There'll be more scoring opportunities. And, and when they do go to that straighter tactic and, and use the bouncer with him, you'd imagine you'd be on 30 or 40 and all of a sudden the game starts to become a lot easier. So I, I like the thinking around it. I actually thought Minus was going to be the one that, that went up top and Steve Smith back to three. But uh, I, I like that he's got the opportunity to to try something different and stimulate himself at this stage of his
1: career. Pete, what do you reckon about the whole shebang?
0: Yeah, I think the, well, one of the best things that's come out of it is just the clear communication from above and why, why they've done it. And I think it's a it's a great opportunity for, for Smudger to get up to the top and, you know, further his career and show show what he can do up there. And then it mm. gives the opportunity for Cameron Green to to come in as well. And we've seen what he can do at number four.
1: Yeah, you you've shuffled around the order obviously and you've seen from all angles about what needs to change. I don't know if you tell Steve Smith you need to tweak things because Steve Smith looks like he's a guy who does things the way he feels and the way he prepares is very unique and the way he thinks is very unique. Would you even bother trying to tell him what he needs to do and not do?
0: No, wouldn't would never tell uh, smudger how to bat. Just get him you know, get him into the right mindset and let him let him go. I mean he's he averages 60 in test cricket for a reason and I think this is a an incredible challenge for him to 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 see what he can do opening the batting, and you know, hopefully that means we can now get uh, another two, three, four years out of out of him at, at the uh, at the test level, and and see what he can do there.
1: Hey, when you go out um, and you meet Steve Smith in the middle, or he meets you, what's his chat like? What, what's his frame of mind when he's out in the middle in a test match?
0: Uh mate, it's actually it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. He, he's it's just this. It's this next level thing. Like he knows what bowlers are doing. He knows how they're trying to get him out. He knows what fields are, are set for for certain reason. it's, it's like he's just that one or two steps ahead of the game. So being up the other end to him is great because he just kind of tells you what's going on, and you go, "All right, sweet as I'll uh, I'll try and do that um, and see uh, see if we can stay out here for as long as possible." <laughs>
2: Pete, when it comes to selections, we, we, there's a lot spoken about before everyone thought Cameron Bancroft was going to get the opportunity. And going to your selections, you, you're seen as a, a specialist in the subcontinent, um, and we can talk about whether that's true or not. Where do you know months in advance that they're going to take you on, on that tour? Like, would Steve Smith, you think, would have known months ago that he's going to do this opening role?
0: Uh, oh, gee, I don't. I don't know if it's if it's months. I mean, I haven't. Uh, I haven't really been in the fold of the Australian group at the moment. I do know that they're they're incredibly well planned. Um, you know, Paddy's doing some some great stuff there with with Andrew McDonald as well, and they've got a blueprint of what they want to happen for the next, I think, couple of years. But obviously, they're they're thinking on the fly as well and making sure that they're picking the right guys at the right time. But I think I think Smasher came out and and said he he had mentioned it while they were over in England. And that maybe they hadn't taken him seriously there. But now that they've finally taken him seriously, seriously in Australia, that he wanted to do it. So, yeah, so maybe he he knew maybe two or three weeks before anyone else. I had a guess. I don't really know.
1: With the selection as well. So, with a, a big Australian selection in the cricket team, there's always the easiest kill for a journalist in the sense that, yeah, player A gets selected, but player B, C, and D missed out. Let's tell the sob story as much as, like, I, I've read more about. The, the reaction to Cameron Bancroft not getting selected as opposed to Cameron Green getting selected. And that's just the way it is with, with you know, journalism and, and you know, the public chatter about things. Can you feel for a guy like Bancroft who's just posted big numbers in Shield, a uh, uh, Marcus Harris who's a contracted player as well, Matty Renshaw is in the squad, but but those two guys missing out and the overall feel to it all, how it might have been communicated?
0: I think the communication would have been... Would have been fine whether whether the two of them would have agreed on what they were being told is another matter. But at least it would have been uh, pretty clear. And yeah, it's it's tough. You know, you you get told to make runs and go back go back to uh, shield cricket and just keep piling on runs. And then you know when an opportunity comes for a for an opening spot, um, and you've got two openers in the country ready to go, uh, I can imagine it was quite quite tough for both of them to, to take the news. But, you know, since then we've seen, yeah, Cameron Green comes in at, at number four who, yeah, I don't know what he averages for WA at, at, at four, but for, I think it's pretty high. Uh, and he's 60. one of the best batters in 60. the country. Hmm. Well, there you go. So, like, he knows what he's doing at number four and, and he could be a, a generational player. So, if they have to shuffle the order to get someone like that in, then... You know, good on them, and and hopefully we look back on this moment in a couple of years and we go, geez, it was good. We got we got Cameron Green in.
2: And, and Pete, you, you've had a first look at this this West Indian team. They have got seven debutants that uh, could get the opportunity. When we talk about West Indies, we we think about fast bowling intimidation. What what are they got to look forward to? What what are we going to expect from this West Indians team?
0: Yeah, well, there's a bit of there's a bit of fast bowling coming back. That's for sure. So, Alzari uh, Joseph and and Kemar Roach. Probably taking the new ball. alzari has got some pace to him. Probably mid one forties if he if he cranks it up, and he's he's tall, so he's getting some bounce and bounce and pace, which is which is nice to see. Uh, he didn't bowl that many overs during the the CA eleven, so I'm I'm assuming that he'll be nice and fresh come these two two Test matches. So I'm I'm excited to see him fire up, and hopefully he can he can back it up, spell after spell. And then Shamar Joseph, I think, was the one that kind of stood out for me. Yeah as uh, as the new bowler. He's up there with, with Alzari, if not a little bit quicker, just a bit skiddier, a little bit shorter. But yeah, he had he had some good raw pace about him. So excited to see what he can bring and, and hopefully he keeps his keeps his pace throughout the game and, and after spell and, and can really you know put some pressure on.
1: What have they got with the bat, Pete? Have they got explosiveness in their order or is it about patience away from the T twenty style of player?
0: I feel like it's more of a patience game with them. Uh, they've got uh, Brathwaite and, and Chanderpaul opening the batting up top, and I think they do an incredible job at, at trying to negate that new ball. And uh, if they can get through that, we, we see that we have seen that they can make make runs in Australia. And then throughout the middle order, uh, there was a, a player Hodge, similar height to Brad Hodge as well, uh, but no, he made he made fifty in the in the first innings. And uh, and ninety nine in the second innings against against the CA eleven, so he's hopefully gets a nod and, and he's coming in with some runs, so it's good.
1: Cool. Hey, just away from the windies, Pete. Back to the, those selection issues. We always, you players know and and Hads would know exactly what goes on, but for the, for the uninitiated, the, the the viewing public, what actually happens when you you put back to the bench if you like with the the test team? What kind of information do you get? And in the and you've come in and out of the test side, what information do you get when you come back in? Do you get anything from the selector or is it purely handed over to the coach and, and your own preparation as well? So both both ways, in, in the negative story and then the positive when you get back in.
0: Yeah, I suppose, well, I mean, when you're out, the narrative's always the same. It's, you, you've, you've got to make runs, you've got to take wickets no matter what you're doing. You've got to be posting big numbers to get back into the Australian side and that, I think that's that's always been the case. And it's especially the case now with this, with this side, you know, winning Test Championships, retaining the Ashes, 3-0 against Pakistan. Like, they're, they're such a strong side. that to get into that, you need to be doing something something really good. And that's just, yeah, runs and, runs and wickets. And then once, you, once you're back in, for the most part, it just goes back over to the coaches uh, and, and Paddy. Paddy's running it very, very well. And it's, it's, it's your game. Like, you, the, you've been picked for a reason to be at that level. Uh, it's not about changing who you are or, or changing what you do or how you prepare for a game. Uh, what you've done is good enough to get there. So let's facilitate that, keep that going, and you know we back you to, to perform out there.
1: So literally, when when it's selection time, you get a you, you look on your phone, you go oh shit, or oh maybe. <laughs> so it's those emotions when that phone <laughs> that name pops up on your phone.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a um, I got a phone call from from George Bailey, a day three of the Boxing Day Test and the third session as well. And I don't think he'd known that I'd actually been at the game the whole day um, at the AC. So I'd had a had a couple of beers, and when the phone rang, I was like, "Oh wow, what's like what's happened here?" Everything races through your mind, but it was just to tell me about the CA11. So even something like that, I was thinking. <laughs> is there a selection here? Am I, am I back up or is he just telling me, yeah, something else? So yeah, the emotions run
1: through your body pretty quickly. So what, the, the, the feeling of those um, nice few beverages that you had, the the alcohol content all of a sudden drains out of your body really quickly and you sober up quick smart when you see that name pop up.
0: Amazing how quickly you can sober up when, uh, (laughs) when George Bailey pops up on your phone. So yeah, so that's, that's, that's it. And, and the, yeah, all the thoughts that ran through were, were pretty crazy, but they had a nice, had a good chat and and something that, that George is really bringing in and, and Andrew McDonald as well is, and Tony as, as another selector is just this open communication. So I know I can call them, uh, text them any day if I want to find out anything about where I'm situated, what, if I'm in their plans, if I'm not in their plans, and they're very happy to to tell me how it is. And, it's mm. good it's good being able to know that.
1: Absolutely. What did you make of Australia's summer against Pakistan, Pete? It's pretty comprehensive in the end. but there were moments that they were really pushed. What what did you take out of those moments that they, they saw through?
0: Yeah, I mean, there was still a three 0 series win, which mm. is impressive in you know, in and of itself, just to to keep pushing through, you know, those those tough moments that you, you were you're talking about and Probably the the one at the at the MCG, uh, a couple of early wickets with a new ball, and then Big Bison came out and, and did a beautiful counter punch uh, innings was was sensational, and and that's a sign of a of a good team at the moment that someone's going to stand up in the big moments, and they're they backing each other in beautifully. So uh, I think the series was was very impressive. I was in, I was very impressed by the Pakistan team and how they stood up and how they played. Uh, mm. But, yeah, obviously the, the Australians just very, very strong and, and just continuing on from yeah, the World Test
1: Championship last year. Absolutely. We're going to take a little breather with our special guest, uh, Peter Hanscom, and Hads as well is with us on Willow Talk. Welcome back. Still got Peter Hanscom. Hads has just uh, stepped away for a sec. He's taken a call from George Bailey for Chairman of Selectors. I think he's getting his hopes up, maybe backup keeper for the, uh, for the Wendy's Test Series. Doubt it. Mate, overall, how do you view where you're at with your cricket right now? So you've still got a bit to give, a lot to give, actually, with your age. You're 32. You've played those 20 tests and you're playing a lot of cricket, mate. You're playing here domestically. You're playing over at County Cricket as well, continuing that contract over there. So you're obviously still deeply in love with the game.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thoroughly enjoying enjoying cricket and and uh, and, and what it brings, but also <clears throat> yeah, what it allows me to do with... Uh, with traveling the world and, and and bring my family along with me as well so it's a, it's an incredible incredible sport to be able to play uh, and, and to do that as a job is you know something we're, we're very lucky to do I feel strong in my game at the moment I feel like I'm at a stage now where I know what I need to get ready for a game uh, I've got different plans for different circumstances different situations uh, different conditions and, and I feel like I can I can go in and at least go in there with a clear mind and a clear head in, and try and perform to the to the best of, of my ability at that, at that day. So uh, and I feel like I'm in a good spot.
1: Mate, you're doing what the selectors ask around the Australian team and that's go back and score runs because you've done it the last, well, three seasons on the bounce. Top run scorer a few seasons ago, fourth last season, verging on the top five, again with more to come, no doubt. But all of a sudden you get called, you know, the the Batman sign goes up and we need specialists for the subcontinent and then you get into the side for the India tour, which I'm sure you absolutely loved. But how do you feel about the the possibility of becoming, oh, he's good for the subcontinent and then almost an afterthought for everything else? Does that come into your mind?
0: Uh, yeah, it's a bit, probably a bit bittersweet. Um, it's it's an incredible thing to be able to be one of the first thought of, you know, when the, a subcontinent tour comes comes up and my name pops up again and it's like, yeah all right you know should we should we get Petey on or or not and to be able to go over to India and play those four tests last year was an incredible experience, but having said that, I would love to be able to play some tests in australia mm. uh, the the few I've played um you know I felt I did I did really well and then uh yeah like you said for the last last couple of seasons that I've been batting three or four for for victoria and and putting some runs up so I'm I'm trying to show that I can still play in in all formats. And that's another reason why I've been pushing so hard with our uh, county cricket, trying to play over there, is is again showing that, uh, you know, hopefully I can make runs in in English conditions and and that I'm not just a subcontinent player. Mm. So it is nice to be thought of as a as a specialist spin player, but you know most of the most of my runs are against quick bowlers in Australia. So I'd like to be able to showcase that again at some stage, but. It, it's, it's tough to break into this side.
1: Is scoring a century for Australia, any feeling like it? Uh, I've probably got to say
0: birth of my first, Good man. first child, Jack. I yep. Probably <laughs> got to be up there and and, and wedding day probably. Uh, but, yeah, it's right it's right up there. It is it is a special moment. You know, you practice these things or you, you try and emulate these things in the backyard when you're 10 years old and you're playing with your brother and he's pretending to be England and you're Australia and – Ricky Ponting, hitting runs, and you're going down the driveway, carrying on, making a 100 for Australia. <laughs> and then, yeah, to be actually to go through that journey and, and come out and be out there playing test cricket and, and making a century. It's, it's a pretty special moment given mm. everything that, that leads up to that. Uh, so it's, de- it's definitely, definitely up there
1: in, in my life moments, that's for sure. The century that you scored at the SCG against Pakistan in 2017, um, you're on target for a triple ton, I reckon, that day. Um, things were going pretty well with the bat for Australia. But then um, I, I still can't – I watched it again last night. I still can't believe – I don't know if you can as well – how it happened that you you played such a deep cut shot. <laughs> you've given yourself that <laughs> much time. You've clipped the ball on the way through. No one knew about it. And it was only Safraz, I think, behind the uh, behind the stumps who had any idea what had just happened. It was incredible.
0: I nearly got away with it as well. Um, if they if they didn't have Spider Cam sitting directly above me at the time, I I reckon I would have been fine because I clipped the bale, I clipped the stump, and I was I was able to get maybe two or three steps away before the bale actually fell off. Mm. So could have easily just been a bit of a you know, a gust of wind or something like that. But the only camera that picked it up was Spider Cam sitting directly above. And you could see the stump move just a little bit, but had it not been there, I would have just kept going. Would have said, "What? What stump? Didn't? No, that wasn't me." Uh, <laughs> but yeah, got, got done, and then yeah, had to walk off. But that was still a special moment as well.
1: Absolutely. You're still, you still. We talked about it last episode with Had. You. You. At what point do you start to raise the bat and say thanks to the crowd? And obviously, a century is an automatic one. And doing it at the SCG is a special moment. But I, I will say, mate, you're the last batter uh, Australian male to, to uh, get out hit wicked in a Test match. This century, though, you are in magnificent company because the two others from Australia who've done it, Shane Warne, Steve Waugh. So hey, it's a good club to be in. Yeah, it's a good
0: club to be a part of.
1: Yeah, and you can bag out Steve War because he did it when he was uh, still on zero against India back in 2003. <laughs> At least you had a few runs in the bank, but he, he scored a few others. SR War
0: Not going to take him down. I think he's pretty good. No,
1: f- fair enough. Hey, this uh, Your words, it was meant to be the summer of golf. Not the summer of George, the summer of golf. Uh, <laughs> you didn't have a BBL contract, and then all of a sudden one pops up with the stars. So how do you feel about it in retrospective? Did you make the right call? <laughs> yeah, well... Yes, yeah,
0: I've I've made the right call to, to play, obviously. You know, it is my job and uh, to, to play cricket. And I think when any um, or when most you know, professional contracts come come up or professional opportunities, it is silly not to not to jump in and, and take him. I was just lucky that I wasn't out on the on the fifteenth hole or something where there's no reception and I, I would have missed the phone call. But um, <laughs> no, it's it's to be fair, it's been quite a nice um, four or five weeks off after the shield shield season while big bash started but yeah when the phone call came to to come in and replace sammy harper at the stars it was it felt like i was i wanted to get right back into cricket again and yeah it was a a good good
1: opportunity to come back in how is sammy by the way obviously we're everyone in the australian cricket community was wishing him the best when it happened with the the training accident
0: yeah i think you know it was obviously a really really tough moment um quite confronting for for the for the players uh, around him, but also quite a tough tough one for him and his family. But uh, from all reports, his recovery is coming along better than expected. Uh, so it's just a it's just a wait and see at the moment. And, and when um, uh, things start to subside, then hopefully he can he can start to come back in.
1: Uh, on Saturday, of course, the MCG big crowd. It's awesome to see the big crowds over the weekend uh, in the the Big Bash. Aaron Finch's last game for the Renegades now. You've played a bit with Finchie and I will get to Hads in a moment when he gets back off that phone with George Bailey. But how would you describe him and, and can you give us something about Finchie that we don't know?
0: Well, I mean Finchie to start with is just he's an incredible human on and off the field. Always happy to to help you out uh with, with whatever's whatever's going on. But in terms of his his cricketing ability, like he was he was a match winner. Some of those things, some of those innings that he could do up the top of the order, just absolutely take take the game away from anyone else it was it was incredible to watch. Uh, we were we were lucky enough. He played a game for Victoria, and he got 180 opening the batting Junction Oval against Queensland, and just 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 hitting the ball wherever he, wherever he wanted. There was didn't matter what field they set or who was bowling. He was he was taking them down that day. And I think that's that's something when he was when he was on, there was no one no one better than him in the world, uh, and we've seen that again with other with other T20 innings that he's that he's played as well. But in terms of story, one one does pop to mind uh, where he uh, it was back shield cricket with um, playing with Victoria and Farhad Ahmed's in the team, and there's a few. Just you know, Victoria, we're, we're quite harsh on each on each other. It, it comes from a place of love, but the boys are, are, are friendly, bit of friendly banter going towards each other. And I think um, Farward was was alluding to the fact that maybe Finchy was a bit slower than um, some other professional athletes. To which then Finchie was started chasing Farward around the MCG during a during a shield game, trying to trying to kick him in the shins. So you um, didn't. <laughs> You didn't want to piss Finchie off if uh, if you could avoid it.
1: What, during play this was or during a, a break in play? Drinks Maybe like a
0: drinks break. Just all, all in, uh, Yeah, like I said, all from a place of love, all in good fun. But, yeah, it was,
1: uh, he, he was a good man, Finchie. Who was who was proven correct? Farward? Did he stay away from him or Finchie? Did he catch up with him and kick him in the shins? Well, I mean, Farward's not that fast either.
0: Um, <laughs> so I reckon it was a pretty even battle the uh, I'd like to
1: see that in a 100-metre sprint. I'm not, I'm not sure who's winning. <laughs> Breaking 16, maybe. Anyway, Peter Hanscombe, thanks so much for joining us, mate. Really appreciate the insight into the Windies, your own career, and what it is like for a cricketer um, trying to break back into that test side. And we wish you well, well with those endeavours and, um, yeah, with Victoria when the Shield season uh, starts up again to pile up those runs. Cheers, mate. No, appreciate it. Thank you. Hads is back with us now. Um, really interesting chat there with Pete Hanscom. Well, it's fascinated, and Hads, what as I said, with viewing public, we we don't really know what goes on the communication, and it has been the story of the last week about a decision with selection, especially a borderline contentious one like the Steve Smith in at the top of the order and the guys, the specialist openers missing out. How that's communicated? Have you got a perspective of it? Have you got personal stories of of how it's been? talk to you and, and what you need to work on?
2: Yeah, it, it's an interesting one talking about because take Pete Hamskin, for example. He, he's seen as a, a specialist in, in the subcontinent. So leading into those tours, not not a week or a, a couple of weeks before, he, he would have communicated months, I think, before um, with the selectors saying, listen, we need you right for India. You're a big player there. And, and that's all I, I think players are after. It's an interesting one where we're talking about uh, Cameron Bancroft. Um, hmm. he, he's been out, outstanding in, in state cricket, but so is Cameron Green. He, he, he's won the nod this time to, to go at number four. Steve Smith's going at the top. So the selectors, I, I understand, gave him a phone call and so did um, Paddy Cummins. And I imagine that would have been on the lines of saying, mate, listen, you, you're doing well and, and that's all you can do. And, and continue to put big numbers up. Continue to get your name in the conversation. At the moment, um, there's not a spot for you, but that's why Australian cricket's strong. It's okay to leave players out that are scoring runs. We've got a great team at the moment, so they've got to go back, keep scoring those numbers, and eventually they'll. you hope that the phone call comes their way, that the, their opportunity arises. So, yeah, they, they don't have to call Cameron Bancroft. You don't have to mm. give him a, a call. He wasn't in the, the past squads. Um, yes, he's played well, and they've gone a different way, but they would have communicated really clear with him, as we understand, and, and that's what's so good about I think this selection panel at the moment is is their clear communication and um, Peter Hamskin alluded to that as well
1: yeah yeah he's he's pretty happy with the process at the moment he, I did laugh though about that story when George Bailey called him on uh, day three of the Boxing Day test when he'd uh, when he'd seen the bottom of a couple of plastic glasses at the MCG there and uh, he he got told about the CA11, but uh, completely open policy at the moment between player selector and coaching staff as well. And really, is there a perfect way? I don't know. But uh, it seems like the players are pretty happy with this one. Just with Cameron Green, the way that it's been talked about in the last week, there does feel there's there's a hint of, oh, he's a golden child. We need to, to, to kind of force a position for him, not has he got there in merit. I personally don't subscribe to that because I just look at the figures, number 460. Overall, you look at Cameron Green and you see what? Do you see a, a generational, decade-long Australian test player has? Yeah, 100%. And he's shown that
2: in state cricket as well. We've spoken about his numbers at, at number four. He averaged 60. I think he's got a first-class average of, of around 50. So he's a special talent. Um, his age is on his side as well. We've got an ageing list, and you need to gradually bring um, young, talented players in, and, and he fits the bill. Um, he can bowl the ball around at 150K. He's a great catcher. So so the package of Cameron Green is hard to ignore. So we had to find a, a spot for him. He gets the opportunity now at, at number four, um, and I think that the process has been a, a, it'll be a really smooth one. I think he'll do a mm. great job. Um, he adds a lot of depth in in that Australian team um, and, and gives Steve Smith also a bit of stimulation at the, the back end of his career. You see a lot of guys at the back end of their career go down the order where Steve Smith's gone the other way and said, no, no, I want to get up the top. I want to face a new ball, and if he works, it could be, uh, one of the best openers in the game in the next coming years because he has a hunger to to get big runs. He needs to, I think, to to be stimulated a a bit. And I think this is exactly what he needed in his game. Were you there the, the day he made his test taboo at Lord's? No, I, I wasn't. But he made his test taboo there as a, a number eight leg spinner. Eight, so, yeah, uh, yeah he, he's covered. A, he doesn't bowl that much um, anymore. But yeah, he's uh, he was he was one as well. He just had to find a way to get him in the team. He was such a talent. Hmm. Then he went away actually, and and was pretty brave. Everyone wanted him to be this batting all rounder. We have got a leg spinner like uh, Shane Moore, and he can bat a bit. But he said, no, 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 I'm a top order batter. And he, he went away and just not only played well in state cricket, but dominated uh, attacks for a period of time, and and got himself back in the Australian team as a, a batter. Got his first hundred. Uh, remember at the at the Oval where, where he whacked a six. Oh, I think I've Jonathan Trot down to one of his good mates to to bring the six up. I was out there with him at that time. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the challenger
1: ahead for Steve Smith. Yeah, what's his chat like? I, I asked Pete the same question, but um, Steve Smith, his chat out in the middle. Yeah, it's pretty clear. He, he's a good thinker of the game.
2: He knows what he wants to do out there. He he studies the the bowlers a, a lot. So um yeah he's he's pretty good to bat too he reads the game well like he 'll see subtle field changes and think listen this this could be their option there just keep yourself o- open to this d- delivery
1: so yeah he's yeah, he's pretty good to bat with absolutely well, he 's proven it and he 's um now like when he when he gives the game away he's he's going to go down as one of the the all time greats with the bat for australia across all time uh which is incredible when you think about it where he started and where he is now. Sean Marsh uh, mentioned that it was Finch's last game as well, but Sean Marsh too um, has – surely you've got a story about this guy, something about Sean I tell Marsh you and- what, I would have sauce in
2: every one of my teams, if not definitely 12th <laughs> man with his brother. <laughs> He's just one of the great team men. He, he enjoys everyone's success. The one I used to find interesting uh, and with great humour with Sean is, is when he used to get out. And he just used to sit in the change room, and you just could see it and hear it building. Sean, 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 and it just kept getting louder and louder. And all he would do was repeat his own name uh, <laughs> for for about forty times. But uh, he, he was a great team man. He was a he, he was a tough human being. I, I tell you, an interesting one too. In the two thousand and nineteen World Cup, Max is bad in the nets, and the and the quicks are working him over, and the. Hit him in the arm and he's thrown his bat everywhere and he's gone, I broke my arm and they've walked him off. And everyone sort of said, Max, he hasn't broken his arm. He's just getting out of the nets. Three balls later, Sean Marsh has got hit in exactly the same spot. He just dropped his bat, showed zero emotion and just started to walk out of the net. And training just went silent. It went completely silent as he just walked through the nets at Manchester around the back of the fence and up to the team room. And everyone just said, He's broken his arm where Maxie was jumping around and broke his arm. We said Maxie hasn't broken his arm. Anyway, that night, Sean Marsh got a couple of screws uh, put in his wrist and uh, Maxie
1: had a bruised arm. (laughs) Fair enough. It shows the toughness of the guy because he hated public speaking as well. It was a nightmare. He, he just did not like a microphone in front of him to be interviewed too.
2: Yeah, I tell you what though, he was also the – he got a lot better at that as as everyone yeah. does later in their career. But he also brought WA their first Shield in a long, long time. Uh, he, he was captain of of that team and they hadn't seen Shield success for for many years and, and Sean brought them to some success there. But mate, he, he was a great talent. I, I remember playing in his first uh, Shield game actually when mm. he was 19 – he got 100 against New South Wales up at uh, up at Newcastle. And the one thing you noticed about him was just how hard he hit the ball with minimal effort. Um, mm. you, you talk about his brother, he goes, how hard um, Mitch hits in the ball fight. But he was sure that uh, he, he was a nightmare to throw balls to because he had minimal effort and the ball had just come back at you at, at pace. So uh, he, he'll be missed around any team because he was just a character. He enjoyed uh he enjoyed every win and uh, as much as most of us actually you you sort of tried tried to find where where marshy was after <laughs> after a test win because you knew if you spent
1: the night with him you're going to have an absolute cracker <laughs> <laughs> so in, in the team environment he was he was lively like public, like if he oh. had to get up and make a speech in front of the boys he was pretty good at it or did he get all nervy and and clam up on oh,
2: no, no. He didn't enjoy having to do joke of the day when Darren Lehman used to put him under pressure. But mate, he he was just a great team man. He he would do anything to get the result for your team. Where if he had to field a bat pad, he had to do all the the dirty work to to get the job done. Mate, he 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 would do it. He, he was just one of those guys that loved every minute about playing for Australia. But I think he loved every minute more about being involved in a team. He just loved being mm. in a in a team environment. And I think that's the the one thing you'll you'll miss him about Sean Marsh is is having that smiley face in the change room, whether he gets a darker hundred someone else gets a FIFA. Mate, he just loved that change room environment and he enjoying the success of the team.
1: Hads, you've just dropped a fifty dollar note on the pavement there, mate. And of course I'm going to bend down and pick it up and ask you about it. Joke of the day. In the team. What was that? Joke of the day.
2: Yep. Well, Darren Lehman at times would just like to lighten the mood in warm-up. So mm. <laughs> what you used to do is he used to pick someone out to, to do joke of the day. And for some people, it was easy. Like you just go out mm. and roll a joke off your tongue. But I tell you what, a lot of people got a lot of anxiety about it, and the, the humor came from people trying to, to, to <laughs> deliver the joke. There would be staff have to do it at times. I remember our analyst uh, Dean Hills, um, have, have to do it as well, and, and that was his worst nightmare. Um, <laughs> but we had a few people come in. We had Husie come in and, and present a joke. We had Hamish and Andy come in as well. I, I remember uh, it, this, the funniest part was uh, Andy came in delivered an outstanding joke. Great joke. Then the next year, we we got Hamish, in, and Hamish started to tell a joke, and we're all looking around. And about halfway through, he goes, "It's the same joke Andy told, isn't it?" <laughs> and we said, "Yep." <laughs> so it was just Darren Lehman's time to to break the mood. He, he was he was very good at that. And and sometimes in the the cauldron of a Test match, where you're getting caught up in in yourself and what's going on in the game, that little moment there. Mm. can just reset yeah. get your um, head um, thought clear. But, yeah, mate, Marshy hated it. Marshy did not want to go in the middle and, and tell <laughs> a joke. But, uh, yeah, there was – Billy Stanlake, I, I reckon, was um, the funniest one, best reaction I, I ever heard. He, he was he, – his joke, I think, was a bit crude. And uh, we're at Lord's, and I don't think he knew, noticed a tour group um, coming <laughs> through. So, yeah, it was uh, one of those where – Half the group's laughing because they couldn't see the tour group, and the other half's face is going, No, <laughs> no, don't. <laughs> so, yeah. no good, mate? It's uh, you try it, try it with your, your mates that all right, joke of the day, put them on the spot. Some love it, some some get petrified of the public yeah.
1: speaking. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Rises and fallers time now, Hads. Uh, riser Steve Smith got a, a return of serve with Novak Djokovic. He played a charity match uh, in Melbourne last Thursday evening. Novak put a circus on Rod Laver Arena and they brought out all these different sports if you didn't see it. And, uh, yeah, Novak, he, he didn't pump one down, but it was, yeah, I'd say 85%, 90%. And it was weird watching a European guy kind of like react to and go, wow, he got a, he got a, a ball on the racket. I would have thought that someone would have let him know that Steve Smith's hand-eye coordination is pretty good. It's not a real surprise that he got a racket on it, correct?
2: Well, I'll take that riser a little further. Mm. Steve Smith won the point.
1: <laughs> he did because Novak didn't get the ball back,
2: <laughs> mate. Novak, <laughs> mate, put a serve down. Steve Smith, I've heard comment recently say so I thought he was a bit quicker than that actually, but he got
1: it back and made a bounce
2: twice. Love fifteen to Steve Smith. How good's that?
1: Have I told you my bowling to Roger Roger Federer story? No. Okay, Australian Open uh, a number of years ago, and it was when <laughs> myself and Mark Howard were playing. Uh, were working for Channel 7 at the same time. So Howie's there, I'm yep. there, both reporters. Roger Federer in his first round match got so bored, he started playing four defensive shots with his tennis racket on court in his first round match. And I've gone, ding, let's try and get Roger Federer with a, a cricket bat in his hand and someone can bowl to him. We'll try and line up someone to bowl to him. Howie's thought the same thing at the same time. And we've gone to the ATP Tour media guy and said, oh, can we do this? And he was like, yeah, that's a pretty good idea because he was an Aussie bloke. So he said, yeah, I'll get into Roger's ear and we can maybe go to the team at his hotel, do it there at Crown on the tennis court up there. So about 10 minutes later, Howie's come, come to the same guy with the same idea. And anyway, we've had to sort it out. I think we had we actually flipped a coin. I won the toss. Coin toss? Howie's – oh, he's the look of thunder from Howie. But he's kicked <laughs> on since. He's all right. Anyway, we've gone up there. We've uh, I've gone up there. And I've actually gone to make it a challenge for him, knowing that his hand-eye is pretty good. I've taped one side of the ball. Yes. And to try and get it, you know, uh, moving a bit. First ball, he gets it. He's never played cricket in his life before. Gets the bat, taps the bat, plays and misses, does it like it gets it. Second ball, bang. Every ball after that. And it's swinging about a foot. Not much on it from my good self, but anyway, I was trying my best. He was... Smashing the ball over mid wicket for like all the in swingers are going over mid wicket, and all the out swingers were been pumped through cover. It was incredible for a guy who never um, picked up a cricket bat. Just absolutely incredible. And I've still got the ball at home. Got him to sign it, and I've got a taped up tennis ball at home. I'll bring it in for a look. He's, Mate, uh It was incredible. Having, those, uh, Roger Federer as backyard mm. cricket.
2: At the back, just wet the surface a little bit. You should have put a <laughs> bit of uh, detergent on the surface with a bit of
1: water, see if you can skid one through his defence. <laughs> Don't think like you, Bradley Haddon. <laughs> Don't think in devious ways like that. <laughs> uh, Got to mention a riser as well. Big uh, bash crowds. That was big bash, what it needs to be on the weekend, both in Melbourne and Sydney. It doesn't really matter where they're sitting on the table. It's just a good night out, an event, good weather, family atmosphere, good times, ads.
2: Yeah, I think the crowd's been outstanding um, since the new year um, with the big bash and, and the Sixers crowd the the other night against the Thunder. Mate, it was great entertainment. You had Davey Warner come in on the helicopter. You had Steve Smith, mate. Everyone went just deadly quiet when he got out first ball. You thought, oh no, this this crowd's going to be disappointed with uh, Smith going early. I tell you, I have got another riser. Mm-hmm. He comes from junior cricket. Yeah, Watch the Green Shield game yet? yesterday with Sydney Uni and Northern Districts. And, and there was weather around in Sydney and they could have easily gone off and with the covers, rain on and off. They tried their hardest to stay out there. Yeah. Which in the past you've seen someone sneezes uh, that they get off. So <laughs> I like to say well done to the umpires for trying to get a game of cricket on because mm. under 15 boys, mate, holidays, if you're not playing cricket, they're on a PlayStation so to keep them out in the field and try to get a game on. In the end, they did. They they got a result. Well done to the umpires.
1: Maybe that can filter up to test umpires to keep players oh, I out I hope there. so. <laughs> yeah, quick faller, Jai Richardson, one of your faves. Had's hurt again. He's got a side yep. strain. I mean, fair dinkum. The poor guy just cannot take a trick. Named in the one day squad. Far out. What do you do? Oh, this is a tough. This is this is hard work. This one, Jai
2: Richardson has he's had since. 2019, he's had disruptions throughout his whole career. It's just as we see him coming back. He's buying 140 ks again. He's swinging the ball. He's intimidating batsmen. He's back in the Australian colours, and and we need guys like Jai Richardson 100% fit. Not right now, but there's going to be opportunities uh, in the next couple of years with, with these quicks missed in different games because they they can't continue to play all three forms of the game. Jai Richardson's one cricketer we we need playing so yeah it's uh heartbreaking for all the fans out there because this kid can can play he's got it he's mm-hmm. highly skillful and we've spoken that that before but
1: yeah thoughts go out to him to for a speedy recovery absolutely and last one a faller for not being a faller the bales <laughs> and the bbl yeah heavy bales again heavy bales heavy bales anyway we want to see the batters sing it's not a bowler's game bbl keep them out there what about that though that That hit the top of the bales,
2: deflected. It it didn't even light up. Uh, The bale didn't light up. There was a big appeal from uh, everyone behind the wicket, but I I think it was Blocker Wilson, actually. He he was spot on. Watched the the ball hit the top of the bale, not out. But, uh, yeah, we we need Andrew Simon's theory on on what that happened. He explained it better than anyone in the world about the
1: inertia with the bales. Yes bale weightage uh, Hads that's us for Willow Talk for this week because uh, the test starts midweek and they will be doing those episodes from the ground so uh, thanks for that mate we'll, we'll catch you next week for another extended episode of uh, Willow Talk take it easy and um, enjoy the test stay safe